You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Glad to be here. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Glad glad to hear it. So, what do you want to talk about this week? I know there's lots of things we talked about talking about. We talked about talking about. um, Well, I guess we should probably tell our listeners where we're broadcasting from today. Sure. We are broadcasting uh, from the Bahamas because we are here for a DUI DLA conference. But what I wanted to talk about was the coolest thing that uh, we were able to attend while we were here. Yeah. So we were um, found out that uh, the court would have its first sitting apparently every uh, year here after um, uh, Majority Day which is a holiday here uh, celebrating the fact that um, the legislation that brought in the right for everyone, every citizen of voting age to vote. Um, And um, they call it Majority Day. And the day following Majority Day, they have the opening of the Superior Court. And the opening of the Superior Court comes with a fairly impressive ceremony. Mm -hmm. And we were aware that the ceremony was taking place. And we were, I guess, sort of invited to attend um, and um, got to watch the uh, uh, parade after the church service, Um, got to see all of the justices of the Court of Appeal of the Bahamas and Superior Court and many of the the judges of the, I guess, magistrate's court and then a bunch of the barristers uh, mingled with the crowd and uh, we got to uh, hold the oar. Yeah, the ceremonial ore that protects the mace. So there's a that they literally yeah. beat people with if they so, try and steal the mace. So there's the ceremonial mace that is to open the the courthouse. Uh, I don't know if it's the same mace that they use for Parliament. I wasn't clear on that one. Mm-hmm. And they have a ceremonial ore, and of course, a, you know, there's a long tradition of ores in Indigenous communities and and uh, communities around the world as a not just a, a tool, but also a weapon at hand and it is the weapon at hand that's used to protect the mace yes so that was quite a wonderful experience yeah um and then we met the um administrator for the bahamas court system and he invited us to come to the uh chief justice's opening remarks so and reception. <laughs> so it was all very lucky all around, and that just was uh, like a lot of yeah, lots happening. Yeah, it was a busy day. So it was a good good time, and glad we came when good, we did. Good because, lawyering time. Yeah, I mean, how often do you get the opportunity to to do something like that? It was nice to see all the ceremony. I wouldn't want to see that level of ceremony maybe in BC because I would want to pay for it. Uh, but uh, it'd be nice if we did something like that every few years, maybe when there's a new chief judge on the Court of Appeal or a new chief judge in the uh, uh, BC Supreme Court, we could have some sort of fun ceremony with a band. Yeah. Yeah. Walking down the street, get all the lawyers out in their robes. I I mean, I would be up for parading all the lawyers in their robes and all the justices in their robes down the street once a year. Just generally, I don't think that costs that much money. I suppose. 
anyway, it was a neat thing. We couldn't do it in the middle of we couldn't do it in the middle of uh, uh, January, however, in British Columbia. Maybe if we could do it in the you know the second week of September or something like that, when it's weather's still nice and it's unlikely to rain on us. Yeah. Anyway, so that's uh, that. Um, you have had some interesting concerns about AI that I share. You and I have both had interesting concerns about AI. So AI has blown up in the last few weeks on the internet. Yep. Chat GPT uh, and this this one that is is offering to do legal things um, now exists on the internet. And it's a fascinating thing. And everybody thinks that it's the automation of law and maybe that it's going to undermine the position of lawyers. That's a maybe a discussion for another day. But I was curious about um, sort of the reliability and accuracy of it when mm-hmm. I, um, knowing that, that it's out there and that people are likely to be using it and relying on it, I did a little investigation because I was curious about this one question. And the one question is posed to us regularly, and that is, can you get a DUI on a bicycle? Can you get an impaired driving charge riding a bike? It was actually the number one Google search last week. Yeah, I don't know how we figured that out. But <laughs> in any event, um, the uh, strange that it was that number one Google search. But, you know, it's actually a complex question. And there's would require some legal research to figure it out. And there's certainly some potential that you could be charged. Being charged is different from being convicted, of course, but, um, you know, most of the time, I don't think the police would charge somebody of riding a bike because the threat is just not there. But who knows? People in the States have been charged with, you know, riding a horse, uh, yeah. you know, DUI on a horseback. So I thought I would go and I would ask before I would, I was going to write a blog post or a series of tweets. I wasn't really sure. I thought I would go and I would ask chat GPT. Mm-hmm. specifically for Canada and then specifically for British Columbia. And, you know, it will answer a lot of your questions and the legal questions that I've, I've asked it before it answered sounded like legally sounded right, but wasn't when you actually looked at it. Well, this was a similar thing. It actually didn't answer my question at all. It sounded legal. Okay. Uh, and it uh, ultimately had just things that were wrong. Like it said that you could get a conditional driver's license upon conviction in British Columbia for impaired driving, which you can't. Um, And uh, it said that if you refuse, you will be charged with impaired driving. If you refuse to provide a breath sample, you would be charged with impaired driving. That's not how it works. Uh, If it's a a approved screening device refusal, usually there's no evidence to prove that you were impaired. Police officers just made the demand. You refuse the demand. There's no you know, they can't prove on a balance of probabilities even, but of course they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt for a criminal charge of impaired driving. So this does not follow, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and chat GPT was just wrong. And those were the, the two substantive things that it mentioned when it gave me a reply. So I posted a TikTok about it and I had quite a few views on it. You posted a TikTok this week and you've had over a million views in a day. Yeah, but it was just about the five most or the three most common vehicles that you can get a DUI in like that are used 
most commonly in DUI stops. Yeah, we wrote a blog post about it on the website recently. Um, the number one is Dodge Ram, Dodge pickup trucks. Uh, you're, you are most likely, um, and we've seen this bear out in, in British Columbia, um, of any vehicle, it's the greatest likelihood that um, <laughs> that it will be connected to a DUI investigation. Now, what is the is there is there a, a reason? Is it that they're targeting people in Dodge pickup trucks? Not necessarily. Is it that people in Dodge pickup trucks have a different attitude? Not necessarily. Um, is it that Dodge pickup trucks stand out more? Uh, maybe drivers are more aggressive. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning is. Is it younger? Just a younger demographic? You know, we've discussed this before. Um, but if you're a police officer and you see a Dodge pickup truck and you see a Dodge pickup truck in the parking lot of a of a bar, you might remember that vehicle when you see it driving later on. I was really amazed at the number of people, um, including like police officers and lawyers and like educated people, professionals who saw the video and responded and said things like, you know, I, there was like a one, one woman who's like a psychologist or something that follows me on Twitter. And she said, I can't believe that you're not telling people not to drink a drive because at the end of the video, I say, if you don't want a DUI, you may need to rethink the type of vehicle you're driving. To me, they, they're missing the point. There's actually lots of ways to view that. Uh, think about this. I mean, maybe you bought a Dodge truck and uh, you bought into a defiant attitude when you bought that truck that led you to think that you could drink and drive. Some people think they're invincible when they get in their big trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might feel differently and have a different attitude about it if you were driving a, a Camry. You might not feel, oh, you you know, the, that level of scrutiny. I, I mean, there's so many things about it. The vehicle might be contributing to your likelihood of doing it. Mm-hmm. Might be that you're sad. I don't know. If you but don't I just like for me, for me, it's you know, people should be doing everything that they can to not be investigated for impaired driving. Like I don't, you know, I'm not going to be the type of lawyer that goes around and says, "If you don't want a DUI, don't drive drunk." Right? Like so many people put in my comments, like hundreds and hundreds of comments saying that, or you know, if the best way to avoid a DOI is not to drive after drinking, because those statements are not factually true. You can get a DUI in Canada if you are accused of refusing to blow, right? And that can be as a result of medical conditions. It can be because you have a defiant attitude and you just don't think that the police should have the ability to ask you to blow, even if you don't even drink. Um, you or can, they shouldn't pull you over for no they reason. They shouldn't pull you over for no reason, right? You can get it um, based on symptoms, medical conditions with drug impaired driving. Like there's, it's to, to say that I think is professionally irresponsible. That's my my take on it because it's not giving people helpful advice because you can get it. You can get an impaired driving insurance charge in Canada for drinking after you drove. Well, you also are allowed to, yeah, of course, after you drove, you can get one after yeah, you So drove. don't drink and drive or drive and drink. Yeah. Well, don't <laughs> drive and then go home and have a drink uh, because it's two hours after driving is the, is the window that you can get in trouble for. So it actually makes that whole concept ridiculous. But of course, you're also allowed to have a drink and drive. Yeah. You just can't be impaired or over 50 milligrams in a hundred milliliters. An impairment. Like if you have a disability, your normal state can look like impairment to somebody else. Well, and that's an interesting thing, which brings me back to these Dodge Ram trucks. You know, 
Police officers pull people over and they make an approved screening device demand. Now, once they've got that far down the road, you and I know there's tunnel vision clicks in. Yep. Because what are you going to do? What happens if you test the person and they provide a very low reading and you've treated them like a horrible drunk driver since the moment you pulled them over? Well, based um, on my experience reading police files, the next thing you do is read the SFST demand because it must be drugs. Exactly. Um, or, you know, the person's defiant and refuses and, uh, maybe they refuse for a reason. Maybe there's a legitimate medical reason. Maybe they try to blow and there's some pro- problem with the device or something like that. But the police officer has already made that decision because what happens when you back out, you can be in trouble. You have to catch the person doing something wrong at that point. Otherwise you could be as a police officer in some sort of trouble with your, just your supervisor might be upset with you. You might end up with, you know, too many times that you've pulled people over and detained them mm-hmm. and then release them. Um, you yeah, know, you might bad be numbers. A, sure. So once they start down that road, it's really hard to turn around. And, and, you know, the example of this is, um, say you start investigating a murder as a police officer and you've got one suspect in mind and you investigate that suspect and investigate that suspect. And then you realize, you know what, I don't think this person did it. You've got a bunch of evidence that says that they did. And then you realize it's somebody else. Well, if you charge somebody else down the road, that person's got a built-in defense because, you know, there's a reasonable doubt. The officer went and conducted all of this investigation of the other person, the first suspect, uh, you know, collected evidence that would suggest that that first suspect is the, is the one who did it. So, of course, the problem is, as a police officer, once you start down one road, um, you can generate a defense for the person that you end up ultimately uh, charging if it's not that person, you know, down that first road. So it's a problem with our justice system that sort of that's the way that it works. Um, but again, you pull somebody over in a Dodge Ram, leaving a bar, they may have no alcohol on their breath. They may have, you know, have had nothing to drink. Um, but I'll tell you one way or another, you're going to be making a demand, whether it's appropriate or not. And that person in their Dodge Ram, you know, if you've got tunnel vision going is not likely to be, uh, driving away in that truck. Yeah. And you'd better hope you'd better hope that you didn't have chewing tobacco, mouthwash, a cigarette, vape, or took a sip of your drink just before walking out the door before the officer does that test, if the officer doesn't wait Sprayed some mouthwash in in your mouth, went to the bathroom and used some mouthwash. Yeah, better hope. Tried somebody else's, a sip of somebody else's drink. You should try this just before we go here. I think about the number of people I get who, like, are there being the sober driver. You know, your drug friends don't leave, so you pound back the last of their drink to get them out the door. Yeah. It's a third of a beer. Those things happen. Yeah. And then you end up blowing a fail on a... The yeah. first screening device. Yep. So I, you know, I don't appreciate those comments and I feel frustrated because I've put so much information out there about why that statement is legally and factually inaccurate and dangerous. And yet I continue to get them, but I'll continue to fight misinformation because it is my job. But this leads me to, as we're talking about getting a DUI, when you, um, when you're told, you know, don't drink and drive, but you get a DUI for refusing a breathalyzer or for being unable to provide a breath sample. Well, it's a 
upsetting thing for us. You and I have talked about this and talked about it more and more over the last few years. We've seen the cases that were in the news a few years ago. They were fairly, um, I mean, I, I, knowing what I know about the immediate roadside prohibition adjudication um, scheme, I would assume that those people were innocent and and ultimately ended up with the driving prohibition in yeah. a number of times. But we've seen it hundreds of times where people cannot provide a sample are alleged to have refused to provide a sample in circumstances where they tried to blow and they tried to blow and they tried to blow and the police officer continued to use the device. And the police officers will often not describe um, behavior of the individual that is indicative of refusal. And then they might say, well, there was no medical. They never said that there was a reason that they couldn't provide a sample. In the manual for the AlcoSensor FST, the approved screening device that we use in British Columbia, it does not contemplate any time that a person is incapable of providing a sample either due to a disability or a medical condition. And when we did the constitutional challenge to mandatory breath testing back in May, which, you know, there should be a decision on by now, but um, when we did that constitutional challenge, one of the officers who came and testified, Sergeant Sampson, the head of the E-Division's impaired driving unit, said, oh, well, you know, as an officer, we would take that into account. And if somebody tells us they're not able to blow, then we would... Uh, we would not make them provide a sample. But that's not, in fact, whatever happens. It never happens. And there's no way they're going to let them drive away, right? Back to your Dodge Ram. Yeah. You're pulled over. I smell liquor on your breath, but you're physically incapable of blowing. So have a nice night. You told me you have asthma, so off you go. Yeah. So (laughs) it's never happened. It simply never happened. I, you know, you and I have been doing this since 2010. There were cases um, where Grant Gockatru, when he was policing, had people who told him they had like throat cancer, things like that. But he would issue the prohibition. And then once they gave him medical information to confirm that, he would cancel the prohibition after. Yeah, I didn't know he did that, but I've never heard of that ever happening. It was before. on two occasions only. Yeah. So um, it doesn't contemplate it in any of the manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the training is based on the manual. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a case, never seen a case where a police officer, um, despite the fact that they had them blow a bunch of times and the, you know, the person continued to try and, and, and told them I'm trying, mm-hmm. um, where the police officer didn't issue, uh, a 90 day driving prohibition. Nobody's ever phoned me to say this happened because sometimes people phone you and say this happened to me. Is there any other repercussions? Never heard it from any person. And in all these years of all this material and information that we put out, all the times that you've been on TV and radio and I've been on the radio, nobody's ever phoned me to say, oh, yeah, the police officer recognized that I had a disability. Let me go. And so I look at this and I look at the fact that it's not in the manual and the fact that a fairly significant portion of the population, maybe more so after people have had COVID, uh, end up in circumstances where, for whatever reason, they're not able to provide a sample, and the device may just not be working at its at its best. Right? Yeah. Um, there can be lots of different reasons, but if it is a medical reason or a disability, those people are being discriminated against. Those people yeah. are being prejudiced by the system, the officer, and the law. 
And it seems to me that they've got a fairly significant basis to sue on the basis of a human rights violation. Yep. And that is something that we've never looked into. You know, there's, there's things that we have on our checklist of things to do, right? And we're trying to get them all done. And there's only so much we can do. Um, but that's one of those things. It's just, you remember back when we decided to challenge the interlock for everybody, that was one of the things on our list. We knew when the IRP scheme was introduced that the way the law was written at the time, there was no way it was lawful that they were making everybody take the responsible driver program and everybody get an interlock, you know, to the tune of $4,000 for those people or thereabouts for both of those two programs. Um, and we knew that it was unlawful. We knew the government was doing it wrong. It was on our checklist of things to do, and we got around to doing it. So on our checklist of things to do, we've got um, we've got some uh, issues with IRP refusals, and one of them is certainly medical and disability. The other one, and I'm still formulating it, and I know you're still formulating it too, and that is that the gravamen of the offense um, is constituted in circumstances where you are compelled to participate in a police investigation um, and compelled to assist the police investigation and the results of what takes place there are going to be used against you for the purpose of that punishment. So, for example, if you provide a sample into an approved screening device uh, in criminal law, that fail reading is only used for the police officer to be able to formulate grounds to detain you further and, and make a breath demand if they do that. Mm -hmm. But if you refuse in some manner or another, it is used against you. Yeah. And that is a problem. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, I've never seen it really developed properly in our law. Uh, refusals are relatively rare. Um, but that's something we're going to end up having to deal with. It's on our checklist. Yep. So if you feel like your uh, rights were violated, you were discriminated against based on your disability by the law, then you should contact us. Yeah, we want to talk to people about it because it's something that we want to flesh out. I know that the government uh, at the highest levels was concerned about this, but they never did anything about it. Uh, and uh, they've known about it for years. Uh, and never done anything about it. Now, on a lighter note, you and I deal with a lot of cases where people are trying to get away with driving while prohibited. Yes, it's a common thing that people do. And in that vein, it's time for our The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. This is a good one. You don't even know about this. Okay. So this is in Florida, so we already know it's going to be good. It's in Brevard County, Florida. Two men were arrested driving a pickup truck that did not have a license plate, but it did have a piece of cardboard where the license plate should be. And the men had craftily written on the cardboard, stolen tag. 
Oh, so trying to indicate <laughs> that their license plate, often referred to as a tag, um, was stolen and therefore don't pull us over? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah, but in fact... Kind of made them stand out, I suppose. They were, yeah. yeah. So they were actually committing a number of burglaries and thefts. And so that's why they didn't want to be pulled over. Well, the word stolen there is kind of bad. It's kind of like when we have clients write their affidavits, I don't like them to say, you know, my friend was drunk. Uh, so I, you know, had to drive him home. Um, I don't like to use the word drunk ever in material. Probably if you're out stealing things, you don't want to put stolen. Yeah. On the uh, where your license plate would normally oh, be. This is less conspicuous. A piece <laughs> of cardboard with a handwritten note that says it's stolen. I definitely won't be pulled over. Uh, Nobody will think I'm a criminal if I'm a victim of a crime. That's pretty ridiculous. I thought you were going to do the uh, individual arrested for impaired driving on the scooter, like the the uh, assistant oh, scooter in Ontario. I, I didn't think he's the ridiculous driver. Well, the thing is, I thought you were going to do that because it would would uh, fit in with our whole disabled thing. Because this is something also on our checklist. And that is, you can get an impaired driving charge, probably, in a electric wheelchair. Um, and what do you do if you're a person who has to use a wheelchair? <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're, you're not allowed to drink, or you're not allowed to drink when you get home. Or you know, It's uh, something I want to flesh out again one day. Yeah. But well, yeah, don't uh, don't take a piece of cardboard and create your own license plate that says stolen tags. It will get you pulled over. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And uh, that's our podcast. If you need to reach us to talk to us about any type of driving law related issue, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.